This is the Commercial Property Investing Explained Series, brought to you by Steve Polisi. Find out how commercial property really works and start investing like the pros. Your education starts now. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investing Explained series. I'm your host, Andrew Bean, and I'm here again with Steve Polisi. How are you, mate? I'm really good, man. How are you doing? Good, mate. We're just uh, almost near Christmas now, so uh, getting ready to uh, see Santa and have a bit of a break. Looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the break. We had a couple, obviously, the team catch-ups that kind of got a little bit out of hand, so I'm looking forward to being able to shut the laptop for a few days. (laughs) And it's the uh, the first Christmas with the bubs as well. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's I'm looking forward to that. That should be really cool. So, which means my partners went absolutely crazy, and we've gone gangbusters on trees and presents and all that stuff. And I'm not really Christmas. I, I get called the Grinch because I don't really care that much. I'm like, ah, oh, this is just silly. Like, yeah, our house is definitely fitted out of Christmas stuff. So let me ask you this: Are you fake Christmas tree or real Christmas tree? We went the fake Christmas. We were originally always real Christmas tree. However, I cracked it and I'm like, I'm sick of sweeping up these little things that fall on the ground. So we went a nice fake Christmas tree. Yeah, fair enough. I just love the smell of real Christmas tree, even though it's very, very difficult to get rid of them after um, December, but uh, it's just so much nicer. It was more actually because I've got the six-month baby. She's starting to roll around on the floor a bit and we didn't want the little leafy things yeah. on the ground for her to pick up and put in her mouth and stuff like that. So that was the main drive. And most of our friends have kids under the age of two that are crawling around and that. So we thought it was just a bit safer. Yeah, we'll just wait till they can walk and then they can start pulling the tree down and pulling the decorations off the tree. That's the hole on the ball game too. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. So we've got another guest on today, a very special guest. Who do we have on today, mate? So we've got Tyron Hyde from Washington Brown. So they're probably one of the, the longest kind of going depreciation report companies. Tyron actually did my first properties depreciation. I've personally been using him since. You'll see on the podcast, like his experience is just ridiculous on like what properties he's done, who he knows, his stories. It's, it's a really fun podcast. Yeah, 100%. He actually gave us like a, a really, really cool tip that I never heard before. And apparently there's like a really cool workaround to be able to claim depreciation assets on residential property that aren't brand new. So make sure you listen in for that. But um, what did you get out of it, Steve? Yeah, and there was actually some really good tips surprised me on residential as well. But um, I just yeah. like the just the variety of how I actually explained how they do depreciation on the different assets because I'm we're fairly one dimensional with the buyers agent. We buy like retail, some office, a lot of industrial, and that's kind of all you think about. But there's a whole other world of depreciation around that with mining and machinery, and we went into how, how to depreciate a brothel, for instance. So again, there's, <laughs> some, there's some really really kooky, interesting stuff we go over. <laughs> And an incinerator as well. Which yeah, was what was that? A funeral, funeral part of incinerator. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, without any further ado, let's bring him in. Awesome, mate. Welcome to the show, Tyrone. How are you, mate? I'm fantastic. Thanks for both of you having me on. No worries, mate. You are very, very welcome. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, can you just give us a little bit about your background, like what you've done, what you do in property and things like that? Sure. So I'm a quantity surveyor, and quantity surveyors work out what things cost to build. I started in this industry back in 1988. It's a long time ago. I went to uni for a couple of years, and then I deferred for three years and went backpacking around Europe. And the number one thing I learned about backpacking in Europe was I don't want to work for minimum wage ever again. So I actually came back and finished my degree. And at that point, I wrote a thesis on property depreciation, which is probably why we're here today to talk about 
how Washington Brown and other quantity surveyors save property investors money. Oh, very, very why, why are you guys called quantity surveyors? That's a good question. I guess we survey quantities. It was actually, I looked this up well, quite a while ago, but quantity surveyors have been around since Egyptian times. Like, oh, uh, really? yeah, we're building the pyramids. It's actually quantity surveyors back then. I don't think they were called quantity surveyors, but they're actually measuring. <laughs> the, the pyramid's going to depreciate over the next 20,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty slow, effective life, right? <laughs> uh, so, I yeah, I guess it's, it's survey quantities is, would be the answer to that. Surely yeah. they can come up with a better name like depreciation dudes yeah. or something. Well, you know, okay, so in the quantity surveying industry, the, the depreciation side that you guys know is just a small component of it. It's like with the legal firms, there's so many different types of professions within the legal structure. The depreciation side is probably the, one of the smallest sides of it. Traditionally, and what I started doing quantity surveying was measuring plans, being the bank auditor. So when you go and borrow $10 million from a bank to build a development site, the bank just doesn't give you $10 million. bucks. It also want an independent estimate of the construction costs. And then each month we go out and go and do a progress claim and release the money from the bank to the developer, who's then supposed to pay the builder, and to the subcontractors. Each month we go out and do what's called a progress claim. And that's what the traditional quantity surveying industry is. Where's the biggest portion of the industry? Because like obviously me and Andrew from the property side, we just see when we get a depreciation schedule and that's kind of it. Is there anything else? Yeah. I assume you might work for the big corporates and stuff as well. Absolutely. So within the due diligence side, so a lot of firms specialize in due diligence. When a major corporation is buying a, a building, a big commercial, they'll do all the due diligence on it. Like, but yeah, so there's a whole different section of what quantity surveyors do. And the, probably still the biggest component would be doing the estimating or working for the banks on behalf of working for well, the, the banks doing the independent audits for the progress claims and stuff like that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because you've, you've worked with some of the big dogs, haven't you? You worked with Harry Triggerboff for what, 25 years? 25 years of work with Harry, and but he doesn't actually do the traditional quantity surveying because he funds all the projects himself. So we didn't have to estimate construction costs. But when I first met Harry 25 years ago, I just started the depreciation side. I was pre the second QS firm doing this. I actually started the res residential depreciation side in this country. I used to drive around to building site after building site and say to the developers, hey, there's this new thing called depreciation. I'll give you a free report. And if one of your investors actually buys a unit, give them my estimated depreciation and they'll come to me. And Harry saw that I was doing this and he got me in and he was doing it himself at that point. And he was really bad at doing it. He's good at building, wasn't very good at depreciation. And so he sat us down, me and my partner at the time. And for the first half hour, we didn't talk about anything other about his life. He just told us the story of how he came from China and he was how he's a milkman and how he first started into property. It was really fascinating. And then the last one minute was, hey, can you do this depreciation thing for me? And we were scared because everyone heard in the industry, you know, he doesn't pay, he's a bully, blah, 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 blah. He gave me 200 reports to do and I didn't sleep because back then I'm talking old printers, slowly printing. And I, for about seven days, I worked on these reports and I curated it to him with a big invoice. The next day, he curated me a check back. And I went, oh, I can get used to this. And 25 <laughs> years later, he's still working together, still working yeah. together. Just um, everyone knows so Harry Trigopop cool. is, is owner of Meriton, like worth $15 billion or so, I think. 26, I think I looked it up yesterday, $26 billion, <laughs> which is a lot of units. So he's actually the biggest service apartment operator in the country now. Because what happened then, he couldn't sell some units, so he decided to keep some and turn them into service apartments. And that's, that model kicked off. But every year, he used to invite me to lunch before COVID around Christmas time. And I don't know if you know, but at World Square, the tallest building in you know the Southern Hemisphere, the top two levels are not apartments. He kept those top two levels for entertaining. And there's glass height of four metres high. And you just look out there and you see, all you can see is Meriton Apartments, it looks like. So I told him, Harry, I'll sit in the next. I said, Harry, why don't you put a cross on the floor here? 
and then have little arrows down on all your buildings. So when anyone stands there, they'll know which ones your buildings are. <laughs> and at that lunch, I'd just written a book called Keep Claiming It. And there's a chapter in there called High Rise Harry. And I said to him, look, Harry, I've, I've written a book and there's a chapter about you in it. And I said, you better read it before it goes to public. And there was silence at lunch, right? Because he probably thought, oh, I've written maybe about him yelling at people because he can swear. So there was silence for 15 minutes while he read his chapter. And then he looked at me, he finished the chapter, he looked at me, good. And I said, Harry, can you write something for it? So he got out a napkin and he wrote, I made up my mind to work with time when I saw him and I never went back to another quantity surveyor and I never regretted it, Harry Trigger. And he handed me his <laughs> napkin, right? And uh, I've still got it somewhere. And uh, it was, yeah, so that was a pretty proud moment. But then the next day, so he read it after about a week, his EA email rings me up and says, Harry wants another six copies. Didn't pay for him, but said, Harry wants another six copies. And so I, I said, why? He goes, he wants all his board to read it. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Just imagine Harry sitting there in his little pyjamas reading my book in bed. And then after that, every week he got me in for about five minutes and asked me a question about appreciation. He loves depreciation as much as I do. (laughs) He's a massive weirdo. That's what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Or he just likes saving a buck. Which is probably more, why it's worth twenty six million. More importantly, million. where's mine and Andrew's introduction mm. to him so we can start buying some two hundred mil commercial for him? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Learning about how commercial property really works has never been easier with so many great resources around, like this podcast and Steve's book, and he's giving it away for free if you use discount code podcast on his website. So go to www com. use discount code podcast to get the book free all you have to pay for is shipping what a great deal so mate and, working with mm. harry triggerboff you must have learned some really interesting just ways to do things it's worth 26 billion can you share anything with us well the thing i've noticed most about him is he knows every facet of his business like if he knows so much about the pre- a lot of developers don't give it that's asked about depreciation, but he saw the benefit in not only giving it to their clients, but they might then go and buy another one. If he can make a good experience for them, right, they might come back and buy a second one. And so just him knowing every facet of the business so well, if he's asking me all those questions so much about depreciation, imagine what he's like with every other, every other trade. So I've actually taken that on board. So when I do some SEO or AdWords, I have kind of want to know exactly what it is and how it works before I then engage a consultant because otherwise they can just pull the lid over your eyes, you know. So I've taken that on board from him. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I guess you just want to know enough to kind of mm. be dangerous to be able to figure out if they're doing a good job or not. Yes, absolutely. He's funny though. He still doesn't, he's never used a computer in his life, you know. Why does he need a Macquarie Bank spreadsheet to buy a site? All he needs to know, he can buy it for 100 build it for 350 sell it for a million bucks, the site works. <laughs> it's funny you say that like most of our high net worth clients don't do anything complicated like one of my highest net worth clients i sent him excel spreadsheet with like property planning and all this and he's like oh sorry steve i'm not that good at excel i'm like how do you like quote for your jobs and then he goes like times one number by another number and i know i get a profit and i'm like all right that, that, that works I think the, the biggest developers that I've known have been like that, though, too. Yeah, it's interesting. And also, the, the thing I've also noticed is the more wealthy or the high, more successful developer you are, the greater storyteller you are. It's something I've known. They, they seem to just engage and be able to tell you these fantastic stories about their lives and just sit down and have a coffee on site and just tell you these fantastic stories. You know, it's unbelievable. It might be something to do with making money is you've got to be kind of relatable and you've got to be, somehow be able to kind of get deals with people, for instance. Yep, for sure. And some of the deals I can't go into some of them, but some of them have been quite amazing. You'd be you'd blow your mind of some of the deals. I guess having so much access to money, when things go wrong, he's been able to come in and buy it 
where no one else could, why other corporations are still making decisions because he's got, it's all cash and he can make a quick decision. He's been able to benefit from that. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't use bank leveraging at all. It's just no. all cash. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, just to, what, yeah, it's not a just, secret. Just call 25 mil, a bill, a billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did he on? He did. He did at one point, I believe. And, and then he got in trouble with the banks and he said, stuff it. I'll never use them again. <laughs> it happened. When, when yeah. you don't have to, like there's no need. Like I've, I've actually got a pay down strategy. I want to yeah. accumulate to the point where I don't need to keep accumulating and then pay down. And then after that, it's just cash money. You can spend it on whatever you want. Like, obviously not his scale, but yeah. yeah, it just depends what you're after. Well, I've kind of got that to that point in my life as well. Just deleveraged to the point where I sleep really well. Well, this know, is a I've bit been of... through periods of my life where I had a lot of leverage and it uh, doesn't bode well for sleeping at night sometimes for me anyway. And it's nice yeah. to be in that position where you can do it. But, you know, obviously when you're starting out, it's a lot harder to do that. You need leverage. Yeah, I remember we had a meeting, what was it, like a year ago? And well, I was like, oh, yeah, I've been in the UK for the last couple of years working remote. And you're like, oh, funny that. I've been in Bali for the last two years and my kids have been going to a treehouse school. <laughs> <laughs> a great school. It's a big yeah. bamboo school in the jungle that we took out. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, like that, that story is just ridiculous. I love that. That's definitely me of just getting away and doing something completely different for a year or two. But we, we spoke about business-wise how it actually helped. Yes, absolutely. So I kind of said I was COVID ready because I was already running a big operation from a jungle school in Bali, literally. And so when COVID came, we were COVID ready. You know, we were already working from home and I set it up so that the staff were incentivized to work without me. So yeah. It, um, yeah, COVID, we certainly were COVID ready. All right, so, so back to the topic. What I want to actually ask is, is there a difference in quantity surveys and like how, as if you're a buyer and you've got a property, how do you actually choose a quantity surveyor? Because that's what I find. Some always just say, oh, this one's good. They get you a big depreciation and this one's not. And I'm just like, well, how do you know this until you actually do the report? Well, that's a very good question. I guess in some ways you can't. What you can do is look at the quality of the report, but I'd be looking at things like how long they've been around, who their clients are. But it is very hard. It's a very subjective thing, depreciation. In fact, we're not allowed to say a part of our AIQS membership that we can get more than someone else. It's like an account. You can't say, I'm going to save you more deductions than someone else. But what you can look at is who uses them and the detail of the report as well. So things like we break it down into the actual building costs. You get the separation of the tiles and so forth. So if you remove those, you can write them off immediately. We look at things like, can you split the report into two? So you're maximizing the deductions that way. But we're not actually technically allowed to say we can get someone more than someone else. But I guess from my point of view, if the richest man in Australia uses me, it's a pretty good indication that I'm pretty good at saving money. And what I take away from that is that all the different vast projects that I've worked on with people like him and Len Lee is I've learned so much more than just doing like a residential house and mum and dad house as an investment property. We can specialize in with commercial, you name type of property, I've done it, whether it be a brothel, whether it be a hotel, funeral parlors, I've depreciated over my life. So we've got a vast range of experience. There's some competitors out there now where they've been around for one year and you can't even contact, there's no contact number on their website. Now that would be an indication to me that that's not something I would use. Yeah. When you do the inspections for the depreciation product, with the brothel, do you have to pay per hour to visit it or is it a, a longer thing? <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, there seems to be a lot of hands up saying I'll do the inspection in my office. I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to get, but you, in all seriousness, you have to go on hours where there's no uh, working things yeah. like that. But it's still a commercial premise, right? So it's still, um, yeah. it's highly depreciable actually because there's lots of plant, plant equipment in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just for the listeners, like I can definitely vouch for you. You actually did the depreciation on my first property and you've done every single one since so i, I can vouch for you oh, fantastic one of my kooky Thanks, ideas sir. has always been mm. can you just go to like three depreciation companies get three reports and if one of mm. them is like 
$500 a year more, you're like, Brent, I'm going to choose that one. It'll pay for doing the other reports. Well, technically, I actually talked about this the other day. Technically, there probably is nothing stopping you doing that. We as quantity surveyors couldn't get together and have a little cartel to suggest that. I don't see why you couldn't. You could like It's like getting three different valuations. You want to get the best valuation, right? Yeah. For me, that would work in a bigger type of property. But if it's just a you bought a $300,000 two-bedder in cans, probably not worth the effort. But if it's $10 million factory, yes, it could be because it is a very subjective thing. I guarantee if you get three quantity surveyors to do it, they're going to have all a different estimate because it is the only deduction that is subjective. Every other deduction you get in property investment based upon what the invoice is, whether it be your rates, your property management fees, your land tax, right? The only deduction that is subjective is the depreciation because we have to work out what the original construction cost is at the time of when it was built. So we work out what it costs today and then we factor it back into when it was originally built. So it is a subjective thing. There's no set rates. There's no set square meter rates. We have to estimate those rates. I always hate when I get my building insurance and they always say estimated cost of the building. I'm like, I don't know. It's a warehouse. And then you start talking mm-hmm. to builders and stuff like that. Well, I've got a couple of questions. We'll go into like go obviously how you estimate the buildings. But for the listeners, because this is a commercial podcast, like what's the key differences with commercial versus the resi depreciation reports? Well, massive difference now. Because the law has changed, there's a huge benefit on commercial now compared to residential when it's a secondhand property. If you buy a residential property that's one day old now, just one day, you can't claim any of the plant equipment in that property anymore. That's the ovens, the carpets, the aircon. Whereas in commercial, you can buy a 100-year-old office building and re-depreciate the carpet in it. It's quite yeah. bizarre that they've done that, but that's the main difference. And so there is a definite distinct advantage to commercial. The other thing is the rates of depreciation can be slightly different. So the government has addressed that carpet will wear and tear more in an office because you're walking on it all day. So it might have an effective life of eight years as opposed to a residential property where it might be 10 years. The other thing is you can actually occupy an office and still claim depreciation as opposed to your house where it has to be an investment property. You can't claim depreciation on a principal place of residence. And I know some people that spend more time in their office than they do at the house. So it's kind of kind of living in there anyway and still can depreciate it. Just for the listeners, can you just explain like exactly what a quantity surveyor does? Because I don't think we've yep. really explained okay. what you do yet. Okay. So as a quantity surveyor that specialises in depreciation, we prepare a depreciation schedule that you hand to your accountant and claim the deductions that we outline for you in a depreciation schedule. We'll go to a property or estimate the construction cost and we break it into two components. You can claim the depreciation of the structure, which is the brickwork, concrete, etc., over a 40-year lifespan. You can then also, if it's brand new and residential and commercial, you can claim the depreciation of the ovens, dishwashers, and air conditioning. And we separate those in a report and tell you how much you can claim year by year. That then reduces your taxable income. You don't get that as a tax back, but if you're on 100K and our report says you can claim $10,000 in depreciation, you should have been paying tax on 90000 not 100. So you should, in theory, get a refund back. It looks like a paper loss, but it's yes, not in- Yes, absolutely. In, it's a paper yeah. loss. It's, the depreciation is in the property when you buy it. You just need a quantity surveyor to work out what those deductions are. You've already got those deductions when you buy that property. You just need us to extract that and give you a report that says how much you can claim. One of the things I like to point out is depreciation is not a made up thing. It actually does exist. Your property is depreciated. It's the mm. same as if I buy a car for my business. In 10 years time, it's not worth the same as it is now. And you have to buy a new car to replace it. So- it is an advantage. So never like make your investing based on depreciation, but it is a big kicker. Like we we did one recently, Tyron, like what was it, 200 grand worth of depreciation? That's the first year, yeah. Yep. Here's a fun fact for you. It's the only way you can get a deduction for something greater than what you paid for it. I did a report a while ago where the client paid $40 million for an industrial building and my report said it cost $60 million to build originally. 
So he got $20 million worth of more deductions than what he actually paid for it. And as far as I know, there's no other way you can get a more deductions than what you pay for it other within property because it's based upon the original construction cost, not what you paid for it. And that does happen in mining towns. Sometimes we release reports like that or tourist areas that have gone, they might cancel a flight going to that area and the property prices come down so much so that you're buying it at the original construction cost. Yeah, we, we yeah, see properties wow. all the time where we buy at land value and it's got a building on it and you're like, this is brilliant. Like, mm. we're going to get some good depreciation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And in my view, if you can buy at close to the original construction cost of a property, you've found the bottom of that market. You won't lose. We've seen it all the time, but they're hard to find, but they're out there. Yeah. So, mate, back on the uh, on the 9th of May in 2017, that faithful night, can you mm. just uh, share exactly what the changes were made in legislation and how that impacted uh, depreciation schedules going forward? Yes, it was a shock to us all. No one saw it coming. Normally, these things are released. But basically, what they did was they said, as of that night, whenever you buy a secondhand residential property, even if it's one day old, you can no longer claim depreciation on the plant equipment, what they termed as previously used assets. It's kind of bizarre because the legislation says carpet is going to last 10 years. If you sell it after five days, you only get five days. Normally, what used to happen was it would transfer. You'd be able to keep the depreciation continuing up until at least 10 years, right? It is bizarre, but they didn't do that for commercial. And it had a big impact in the industry. Like a lot of us coin space don't speak, but that night I was getting calls left, right, and center from my group. What are we going to do? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I was like, I don't know. It was rummaging through the legislation and the Treasury Department actually got me in after because it hadn't been legislated. It was just a bill. They said, what do I think of this? Right? And I said, I think it's crazy. I think there's a far more logical way of you doing this than what you've done. And I put a proposal to them. I said, what you should do is the moment that the asset has reached its effective life, no one more can claim it. But what they were worried about was the continual revaluation of the asset, which is they had a point. But I had said, well, once it gets to its effective life, that probably is 10 years old and still has the same carpet. No one else can claim it. They said, how are you going to manage that? I said, we do this all the time. It's easy. But they said, Tyrant, if we do what we're doing, will we stop the revaluation of plant equipment? I said, yes. They said, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because investors were like double dipping on the depreciation, weren't they? So they could That's just cool. buy a property, an old property, and someone could already have depreciated that for its whole life. And then yep. you could also depreciate it again because it was just like now your depreciation. And the other well, th- the bizarre fact is if I buy a property in a company name, I can still depreciate the secondhand plant equipment. But in, when you buy it in your personal name, you can't. In residential? Yes, you can. And so, which is bizarre, accountants say don't do that because you didn't get the benefit of the capital gains implications, right, of the CGT discount when you sell it. However, that was when company tax rates were at 30%. Now, company tax rates are 25%. It's not as bad to have it in a company. I'm not telling people to go and buy a property in the company, go see your accountant, but it's, <laughs> it's food for thought because the ballpark has changed. The equation has changed. You can claim it on secondhand plant equipment in, in a company and the company tax rate has come down. So it's worth having a discussion with your accountant, in my view, about that because also you can split income. Perhaps if you've got two directors of a company, there's more security in a company rather than a personal name. All these things you need to weigh up now. But again, go speak to your financial advisor. I'm just a humble point of <laughs> So in terms of like uh, residential versus uh, commercial, one of the things that I like to to tell people or like just share with people is the amount of different like plant and uh, equipment items Mm. like comparing the two. Can you just like share how many pages of items there are for residential compared to commercial? Well, the commercial is huge because you're talking many different industries. It goes down to the section on you know, what's in an abattoir, what's in, you name a building, it'll have a different section of, of that. So the residential is not that 
big. It's only like two pages, but the rest of the books will be like 30 to 40 yeah. of what type of industry it is. It has to be like you know, down to horse breeding things. Think about the mining industry. It's huge of what you can depreciate. So every industry has its own different depreciation rates. Like a film and TV has its own because you're talking about the software that you're depreciating or the, or the equipment, the video editing equipment that you're using. So every industry has its own. And it's like restaurants, fitness clubs, every industry has its own. How, how do you actually go with like and how often do you have to update your system for like new costs of things? Obviously, like build costs have gone up extremely in the last 12 months. Like how often yeah. as a business owner, you're like, okay, we better update this. We do it yearly. But what we're also then updating is we have an automated system where we have to, because we work out what things cost to build today, and then we have to factor it back to the year of original construction, because that's what you're basing your depreciation on, what the original construction cost is, not what it was today. So there's a thing called the BPI index, which is the building price index, as like the CPI, but it says, okay, if today's dollars was 100 as, as an example. Back then, it would have cost $54 in that year, and, it's a, and it has a fixed kind of ratio and also dependent upon the state as well. So because different areas have different rates of construction, it's a lot harder to, a lot more expensive to build in Mount Isa per square meter than it is in Sydney where the transportation of materials isn't so great. So we factor that as well. We have to update that every year because each year, the BPI changes. And so the location does matter. Absolutely. Location does matter just for transportation materials and, and labor as well can matter as well. So, but a fun fact, the building price index has never gone down since it started. It certainly went up like really high, but I just see it flatlining now. It's, um, you know, when was the last time you paid less to your plumber? Yeah, that's, that's the whole premise of inflation, isn't it? It's always going to be going up unless yeah. we get negative inflation. Yeah, so that's how we work it out. But we've got pretty sophisticated systems that I've been building for about 20 years. I don't know how much money I've spent on them. So we update that yearly. Bit of a random one. How do you go with like a heritage building? Is there any depreciation in that? Because obviously renovate, I imagine it's a renovation and upkeep costs you depreciate. So the heritage building, so the original structure has to be built in residential, has to be built after 1987. So if it's a heritage, say you've got a heritage facade that they've kept and yeah. then they've put units behind that, you wouldn't be depreciating the facade, but you would be depreciating the cost of construction in propping that facade up would form part of it, of the depreciation. But then the stuff that you built behind it, the brand new stuff, you depreciate it, even though it might be wholly within the heritage building, when you restart the depreciation the moment you put something in. So if, say, for instance, you uh, Harrington Terrace, right, in Sydney, built in 1900. The structure you won't be able to claim, but if someone did a renovation, not you, someone did a renovation five years ago, put in new kitchens, a new bathroom, that restarts, that 40-year period restarts from when the previous owner did it. Even though, so you don't even have to do it, but if the previous owner did it five years ago, it restarts the depreciation. There'll be 35 years left if the property's, uh, if the renovation was five years old. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because we, we obviously see a lot of heritage, especially like shop fronts, and I see lots of pubs and stuff come available for commercial. I always wonder about right. the depreciation side on those. Yep. So with the pubs, that again, there's different start dates for different types of buildings. But with a pub, there'll be all the plant equipment. It can be reignited as well, all the air con- all the taps, all that stuff we depreciate as well. Pubs get huge depreciation. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. Hmm. From the investor side of point of view, they're obviously a bit of higher risk because most of the time as an investor, they're fairly one-dimensional. If the hmm. tenant leaves, it's not normally that versatile, but mm-hmm. you get a good long-term tenant. So you just got to make sure you're buying the right areas. Some industries have a different depreciation rate. For instance, service departments, instead of claiming like a residential building over a 40-year period, you can claim a service department over a 25-year period. You get a 4% building allowance. And to be honest, that's what I think the government should do now in relation to residential to get more housing. They can use the building allowance as a tool to encourage activity in an industry that they want to. 
So they could say, okay, as of now, you can claim depreciation at 4% on the building allowance for residential. And that might get more pre-sales. That's the problem at the moment, getting pre-sales to kickstart the development. If the marketers can show that you can get a higher rate of return by getting a 4% building allowance and make it more cash flow affordable, they might be able to get more pre-sales, which will then lead to more developments going ahead. So that's one tool they can encourage activity with. Oh, interesting. So back to like getting back down to where we can like have some valuable tips for the investors in terms of like a a depreciation schedule in the life cycle of buying a property and settling it, when should we be getting the depreciation schedule raised from you? Yep. So look, the ideal would be like to contact us a week before settlement because we we do need to know the settlement date, but if we have to access the property, it's really handy to get in before your tenant gets in there. If you've already bought the property, it's a year later, it doesn't really matter. But if you know you're going to settle and before you, and you know you're going to be an investment property, obviously, get us in before you get a tenant in so we don't have to disrupt the tenant. Depending on the property now, we might not have to access the property. So we don't always inspect the properties now because we might already have the cost. So we're not going to charge you to go to a property where we've already got the cost. We analyze the property that you want us to do and say, and we give you a depreciation plan based upon that property. That's what we do. So is that for like you're buying a concrete tilt-up panel warehouse, for instance, you're like, okay, I might not have to inspect that because it's a few concrete panels and a roller door and a mezzanine? That's right. And in the old days, we used to go out and measure the carpets, measure the blinds because it was all depreciable. Really now, and a lot of times, we're really just getting the area. The best way to get the most accurate area is the strata plant. Because when you're going inside a unit and measuring it internally, you're bound to not get as accurate and as more importantly, as greater area because you're going through walls, you're going through cupboards, your your kitchen's got a bend. How do you get the accurate internal measure? So I'd rather cross-check it with the actual strata plant, which is the 100% greater maximum area you can get and the most accurate. So because you guys aren't actually going out and inspecting the properties now, has that reduced the overall cost to, to raise a report? So, right, so we take it property by property. We would still inspect probably half the property. We inspect every commercial property because you can still claim the plant equipment. Where we're not inspecting properties are a couple of reasons. One, because you've already got the cost. If you spend a $50,000 on a renovation, there's no point me going out to see your $50,000 renovation because guess what? It's only coming at 50 grand no matter who does it because you can only base the depreciation on your costs. We see no reason to charge someone to do that. The other reason is that we've already got the cost. We've got the cost on hundreds of thousands of units and plans and specifications and strata plans from people like Meriton and Len Lease and all these developers. So me going out again and seeing something that's six months old where I've already got the cost isn't in your benefit. You're going to get the same report from us because we've got the cost. So it depends on the property. But if you've bought a house in Vaucluse or an expensive property, yes, of course we're going to go inspect it because we don't know how we're going to work out what it costs to build unless we see that property. But in some cases, we don't have to see that property because we've already got the cost. Yeah, so you pretty much go to all commercial properties because you don't know what you might find. There might 100%. be land and equipment, some aircon and stuff like that. We go to every commercial, industrial, non-residential property because you can still claim depreciation on secondhand plant equipment items. Where we're just doing the structure of the building, which is the residential properties, we would probably still go to 50%, but there's another 50% where we don't because we've already got the cost and there's it's of no benefit to you. And we'd, So we don't charge you. We take the fee right down because you're going to get the same report from us. So how the law works is a developer, when they build a brand new apartment, by law, they're supposed to give the investor the actual cost of construction. And that is supposed to be handed down from purchaser to purchaser to purchaser. It doesn't always happen. So if you're out there and you've bought a brand new apartment, ask the developer for your free depreciation report. He has to hand it to you. And that's what Meriton do. They know that law, so they hand it on. And then what the government then realized was, hang on, once that first purchaser sells it to an owner-occupier, the owner-occupier puts that depreciation schedule in the bin. 
right? Because they don't care. They can't claim it. So the government had to work out, well, how do we get an estimate? And that's why surveyors are what we do today because they put out a ruling that said, if you don't know the exact cost, we will accept an estimate by a qualified quantity surveyor. That was in 1997. And I just wrote my thesis on this topic. So I was like, yay. <laughs> so, and so that kind of kick-started the business. Yeah. Does anything happen if you sell the property with the depreciation? Because obviously there's a couple of methods you can claim depreciation, but is there anything you need to know about if you sell a property, what to do with depreciation? So this is a bit of a complicated answer. When you claim the building allowance, which is the structure of the building, you have to factor that back into the capital gains equation. So if you've made a $100,000 profit on your property and you've claimed $20,000 in the building allowance, you have to pay capital gains tax on the 120 k okay, at the end. But on the plant equipment, the ovens and dishwashers, if you've been able to claim them, you sell them at the written down value. So you don't have to factor them into the capital gains equation. But why do people claim it if you have to factor it back in at the end? Well, because a dollar today is better than a dollar tomorrow. If you're getting a $10,000 depreciation deduction and you're on the highest marginal tax rate, that's five grand net to you, right? When you sell the property and you've claimed that 10 grand, if you've held it for more than a year, you halve the $10,000 because you get the capital gains discount. So you're only factoring in $5,000 onto the capital gains tax. But it also might be in 10 years. So you've had the benefit of the whole way through of getting those deductions. I was with Steve McKnight. Everyone always asks me that question. Steve McKnight grabbed the um, mic. He said, let me answer that one, Tyron. I said, okay. He goes, goes, I've got a tip for you all. Don't sell your property. <laughs> you don't have to pay. <laughs> I was actually going to say that. I'm just like, don't buy a commercial if you're planning to sell it in the short term. Unless you're doing a value-add strategy, why are you selling it? That's right. Speaking of like the different methods of calculating depreciation, can you just run us through like for the listeners exactly what those different methods are? Sure. So there's two methods. There's what's called the prime cost method or straight line, and that is a fixed rate. Say you bought a brand new apartment and there was carpet in there worth $1,000 and it has an effective life of 10 years, you would claim $100 per annum for 10 years. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Where the next one is, and by the way, the structure of the building, the brickwork concrete, you can only claim that using the prime cost rate. You can't fast track that at all. It has to be over a 40-year period from when it was built. The only two methods of difference relate to the plant equipment. So the other method is called the diminishing value method, and it's the fast track method. Where I said before it was over a 10-year period, you could get to claim that at a 20% depreciation rate, which would be $200 in the first year, and then of the $1,000, you minus the $200, will give you $800, and you times that by 20%. And you keep doing that all the way along so it always goes to zero. You never get to zero. So most people, when they buy a brand new property, they want the depreciation as fast as they can and they, they use the diminishing value method. Yeah, so why would you not choose that? Now, because of the fact that you can only claim it on new property, it's, it's pretty much everyone would use that because in the old days, if you lived in it for two years and then you moved out and it became an investment property, you don't want to lose as much up front. And that would then slows it down using the prime cost method. So when you kicked in, there was more left for you to claim. However, now that's not as relevant because, as I said before, the moment you live in that property, if you live in the property for six months and move out, you can't claim the depreciation of the plant equipment anymore. It's considered previously used, so it's not as prevalent anymore. Okay, so you kind of needs to know that. So, yes, just so a lot of first home buyers who, who live in the property for six months, then rent it out, they can't claim the depreciation on the plant equipment anymore. In the old days, you used to be able to. You could live in it for three years. We would work out it was an owner occupied for three years. You moved out you can claim the residual value, the depreciation on that. But that's only now on the building allowance, not on the plant equipment. The moment that you live in that property, it becomes previously used. And here's a tip as well. If you've got an Airbnb that you're doing, if you go and live in there for a month, a year, you've just cancelled all your depreciation. It's become previously used as well. 
okay. So this is a bit of a random one. So I've been considering because we obviously rent an office space. If I was to buy an office space under, say, my self-managed super fund, and then I paid out of the business expenses, the fit out, how would that all work in regards to obviously depreciation? Because there's like an investment under a self-managed super fund, and then there's a business expense fitting it out. Would they be separate? Like the building would be one and then the the plan and equipment would be the other? I did that exact same thing in my office in Sydney. I had my office in my super fund. So we created a report for the super fund, which was the structure, the building, the office component of the property. And in Washington Brown was a tenant to my super fund. So I created a separate report for Washington Brown who paid for the fit out. Now, the good thing about doing fit outs is it's highly depreciable because you've got these things called temporary full expensing. So anything under $20,000 now can be written off. So if you're putting carpet for 18 grand or you bought a TV for the office, most of it gets written off. We've done some reports where the whole amount has been written off. $200,000, immediate tax deduction. So it is quite lucrative. With a 20 grand rule, could you not just go to the like the contractor and be like, can you give me an invoice for room number one, room number two, and room number three and have them all under 20K? I can't tell you things like that, Steve. <laughs> but, but it used to be even more. Like it was up to like I think two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, which have just stopped. But it's still twenty thousand dollars gets you a lot of individual things. Like you're talking chairs, tables. It's pretty highly depreciable. I'd estimate of a of a two hundred thousand dollar office fit out, you get at least half as an immediate tax deduction now because of this temporary wow. full expensing, which is quite lucrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Half the cost. Stay up to date with all the hints, tips, and tricks in commercial property by following Polisi Property on Facebook. Go to Polisi Property, hit that follow button, and never miss a beat with Polisi Property. Mm. So being that this is a commercial property podcast, I mean, what is the advice around for commercial property investors on which method of depreciation they should use, just to make it really clear for everyone? Okay. Well, it depends on your circumstance. You really, that's really up to you and accountant. But because you can still claim depreciation on secondhand plant equipment, property, depreciable assets in commercial, most people are going to claim it, want it as fast as they can. So mm-hmm. most people will use the diminishing value method. I can't really think of a reason why you would not want to do the diminishing value method in a commercial property. The only thing I could think of is say you might have losses already in that financial year. And so you don't need more losses. You might want to stagger it further along when you become profitable and the offsetting those losses would be the only thing I could think of. But most people I would say would use the diminishing value method in commercial property for sure. All right, Tyron, what's the most bizarre thing you've had to depreciate? Ignoring the brothel. Well, we did do a funeral come. Oh, it was where they, you know, where they incinerated the bodies. That was a bit depressing, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's still a business. So garden gnomes are a bit of a weird one. You can depreciate garden gnome, which are, I find weird. I think one of the most important things to remember here is not just the individual items. It's knowing things like you can actually claim a common property items as well. So when you buy an apartment building, right, you own a portion of the lift. You might own that button on there or you own a portion oh, of the yeah. common property items. It's not just within your thing. So it's worth remembering because you're paying levies on that stuff as well, right? Repairs and maintenance and all that. So you may as well depreciate it. So getting as much of the common property items is pretty important as well because you own it. You own a portion of it based upon your unit entitlement in, that comes with your property. So you might own one-tenth of the lift. So that'd be the same for like if you're on like a retail strip and it's got a combined aircon that kind of does all of them, you get your portion of the aircon depreciation mm. as well. Absolutely. Funny thing about that that you mentioned, this is the bizarre thing of the new laws. Now, as I said before, you can't claim depreciation on secondhand plant equipment items for residential, but on a retail and commercial, you can. So you might have 
a retail property on the ground floor that has stairs going up to the residential, but the same air conditioning system. So we have to depreciate the air conditioning on the ground floor because it's non-residential. When you walk up the stairs, you can't claim the same air conditioning system <laughs> at the top. Oh, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> how weird is that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Silly. Anyway, that was I'm, part of my reasoning as to why I was a bit bizarre. Yeah, mm. I'm just having a bit of a thing. I might have to mull this over at a later date of like when I get a tenant ask me, oh, yeah, can you put in air conditioning? What's the most tax effective way, whether I do it as the landlord or I get them to do it and increase <laughs> yeah. their rent or you do a shared yeah. portion as well. So then there might be something to talk to the accountant about that. But just on that, so if you've bought a secondhand property and you put in a brand new air conditioning system, it's brand new. You can claim that. It's only when you buy it that it's six months old and it's in there, you can't do it. But if I go and buy in my 100-year-old terrace, if I go and put brand new carpet in there, it's brand new. I pay GST on it. I can claim it. So you can still claim all those items when you buy them brand new. Yeah, because I always come up with where they want to share the cost or they want to obviously increase the rent and you pay for it and things like that. So yeah. imagine if you trust the tenant, you pay for it yourself, get the depreciation, and then they can pay you back with the extra rent on the lease. I like that you look things outside the square, so <laughs> outside the box. So in this scenario <laughs> where you're buying a, a new apartment, like a residential apartment, you said that Harry Triggerboff gives them a depreciation schedule. If you don't have that from like Harry... Do you go out and get that depreciation schedule yourself for that apartment and then they'll take into account you own five buttons in this lift? Is that how it would work or is it the yep. responsibility of the developer to have one master depreciation schedule for all of the tenants? No, no. So it's, it's got to be individualized based upon unit entitlement and area and the price. And it's quite a complicated process. There's no, you just, here's a one bedroom. It gives goes to everyone because some people might spend $2 million for one better that's on the top that has views and the mm-hmm. one on the ground floor might only be worth 500k very different unit entitlement very different uh purchase price they've paid more for their oven for instance and so unit entitlements not that you normally have a one bed on a as a penthouse but as i was showing you an example unit entitlements when they set it up at the beginning the surveyor gets all the purchase prices he puts those he averages them out so if, if every unit is sold say there's 10 units in a block and every unit is the same price and the unit entitlement maximum is 100, everyone will be 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, right? But it doesn't often work like that. You might get the top one of the penthouse, might be 20, and it might go down to the bottom one, might be five. So that represents your portion of how much you own of the common property. That then flows on to your portion of how much you'll pay in the levies and rates and things like that. Or the sinking fund, not rates, but sinking fund as well. But a developer can choose how to do that, right? They can choose to do it on a purchase price method or an area-based method. And sometimes what you'll find is the developer, depending upon which ones he's keeping, he might choose a method that suits him so he he, he still gets the, the penthouse but pays less levies. (laughs) (laughs) but you can try and argue that but it's very hard to change the unit entitlement of a development once it's um so in terms of like valuation costs how much does it differ between like residential and commercial being that we are a commercial property podcast sure so residentials generally the the range of 500 to 700 dollars depending on where it is location inspection required it's really hard to give a fixed price for commercial because it can vary so much like as steve said before an industrial box 300 square meters 150 square meters isn't as complicated as doing a shopping center we do shopping centers and things like that so we really generally individually quote those jobs but on ballpark for an office say of 200 square meters you're not looking that much more than a residential probably like 990 something like that but when you're talking whole commercial buildings it takes a lot longer to do so it's really hard to give a fixed price on what it costs for a commercial property 
Yeah, I've, you know, the good thing is, I guess, that you're saving the money or you're making us money. So we definitely are, are able to put that cost out there, you know, because it's just, you make so much money from it. With commercial properties, absolutely, because you're still getting all the depreciation of the plant equipment. Look, we guarantee our clients that we'll get you at least twice our fee in the first year or we don't charge you. But in commercial, you, in reality, you're probably talking 10 times our fee, which is tax deductible as well. Yeah, which I always point out to people when people are hesitant about getting one, I'm like, you're crazy. They don't charge you unless they get you the money back. So it's worth the, the one right. phone call or email. Yep. So uh, Tyron has a very, very special discount as well, doesn't he, Steve, that he offers for our clients? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so if any of the listeners actually want to get the discount, just, just email Andrew or I and we'll, we'll send you a link and you can get a discount. So we'll pass it on to the podcast listeners as well. All right, mate, just wrapping things up, where can the listeners go to find out more about you, your business, and your podcast? Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Uh, so Washington Brown is the, um, the company name. It's www.washingtonbrown.com.au. And as uh, Andrew just mentioned, I have recently launched a, a podcast, and my first guest was Steve Felici. And um, <laughs> it's a podcast I've started just to educate investors, I guess. I, I saw my father lose all his money when I was growing up, and I've done pretty well. And I want to leave a playbook for um, my daughter when I'm passed away i guess and so i'm going around and asking the smartest people i know but in the finance and property space the same 10 questions to unlock the keys to their success and just to let you know i've done like i've only released four but i've done eight and to date my wife still thinks steve polisi was the best i'm not just oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I, i'm not just doing probably i did one the other day on, with a share trader named terry tran it's coming out soon it's pretty fascinating i've done a couple with an entrepreneurs as well so it's amazing how the same 10 questions can get such different answers and the questions are things like if you could go back 20 years and tap yourself on the shoulder what would you tell yourself about investing or your 20 year old daughter came to your son came to you and said hey dad i've got twenty thousand dollars how would i invest it yeah i've been really happy with the quality of guests so far so yeah yeah what i found was like because i've gone lots of podcasting you do the same spiel about benefits of commercial this and that your podcast was actually a, quite a hard one because it was actually the why. It's not the mm. how, like we went into the how a little bit. It was the why are you actually doing this? What's the end goal? Like what's the purpose of these vehicles? And you know, like I get so much more feedback from your podcast than I do any of mine. Like people actually generally go, <laughs> I like you, Steve. I what? like the, you want to travel, you want to do this. Like it's not just about yeah, the money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually got a text the other night from someone saying, just listen to Steve Lizzie. God, he's a nice guy. I'll send it to you. <laughs> you need to send me uh, a screenshot of that, actually. That I, will, I will, I will, I will. <laughs> Excellent. So, no hey, you want to share your website for your business as well? Oh, so, so, going... Washingtonbrown.com.au and the 10th type podcasts are on there as well. So, yeah, I hope you can check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic, mate. Well, this has been Tyrone Hyde, Steve Polisi, and Andrew Bean on the Commercial Property Investing Explained series. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Commercial Property Investing Explained series. This show has been produced by the Commercial Property Show Network. Yeah.